Our scripture reading today is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And our sermon today is entitled, The Book of Acts, Pentecost. This is the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelt now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Just look around one more time, say hello to each other once again. What a blessing it is to gather here together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And for those of us who are joining us on YouTube live as well. We continue our series on the book of Acts. And one of the reasons why we are going through the book of Acts is for us to understand how it is that God created the church and how the church functioned in the early days and how those principles have carried on to this moment. What is the church? How is it that we should function? What should be our reasonable expectations? And more importantly, what should be our prayers to the Lord himself? To know how God himself has built the church and for us to know how we can be in the the building process and to follow his will. Well, if we do so, then our church will grow in a way that is consonant with the will of God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, we have a very seminal moment in the history of the church. In Acts chapter 1, we saw that Jesus had come to teach his disciples. Everything that he had done was for the purpose of his death and his resurrection. He told his disciples that, listen, I'm going to teach you everything that I've already taught you when you're with me for three years. 
But now that you've seen me resurrected, you will understand completely what it is I came to do to save sinners from their sins. And then we saw later on that they, they knew that they needed to, to, to find the, the apostle, the, the 12th apostle, uh, in order to, to be full and whole again. And so they, they chose a new apostle and they had the 12. And then they went to the upper room and they were waiting. They were waiting for the orders from God to go forth and to fulfill the great commission to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that they have learned, to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to build the church and churches in such a way that the gospel would go forth and all peoples will know that the king has come. And so they waited. For there was one important element in order for the church to go forth. You see, the church does not go forward by our own power, by our own initiative, by our own wisdom. If the church went forward by the wisdom of men and the wisdom of women, the church would fall apart pretty quickly. That doesn't mean that people would, wouldn't gather. That doesn't mean that people would still give. That doesn't mean that people would not still get together and, and enjoy each other's company. But it does mean that without the Spirit, the central message of the church would be lost. For who are we as men and women to be able to faithfully preach the gospel of Christ by our own power, by our own will? We as human beings already know that we are weak creatures, and even the disciples were weak creatures, that our hearts do not tend towards holiness. Our hearts do not tend toward wanting to read the scripture, wanting to know Jesus, wanting to bask in his fellowship. But our hearts turn to self-doubt. Fear is really real in all of us. And our tendency, all of us, is to cower and to walk away. But God knew this. And God is not here to sort of like chide us. But God is here to simply to open up our hearts and for us to recognize our own weaknesses in order that he may fill you with his joy and fill you with his strength and fill you with his courage. So much so that your courage before the Lord is something that you yourself don't understand, but you know that there's a God who loves you and a God that is for you. I remember when I was in fifth grade, I was very, 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 very small. I didn't grow until ninth grade. I'm still pretty small. But in fifth grade, I remember being about like four foot 
five inches tall, something really, really short. I was very short. And I remember getting picked on because people bullied back then. That's just sort of what, what people did. But I remember I made friends with this one guy who was a fifth grader, but because he was so big, he was already on the middle school football team. And for some reason, we became friends. We became friends. And he saw that I was getting picked on. And, and I, I just jokingly said, hey, you're, you're my bodyguard. Okay, you'll be my bodyguard. And he goes, uh, sure, why not? You know, just, just a big guy. Sure, why not? And I remember for the end, like the last half of fifth grade, knowing that he was always there backing me up, I had so much courage to say things to some of these bullies I never would have had before. And I became sort of a different person. Actually, I became a little, probably a little bit too aggressive. But still, to know that someone was backing me up was for me was a tremendous amount of courage, tremendous amount of joy, tremendous amount of knowing that I would be safe. And the, the kids stopped picking on me. I mean, you have the, the jock of the school, the strongest guy um, backing me up. I, I mean, you should have seen him play football. Back in, when we went to middle school, it was just two simple plays. You give it to him, sweep left. Give it to him, sweep right. That's all they did all, all day. Um, and I still remember that. You see, when we do church together, sort of our courage, sort of our brazenness, sort of our, our silliness in, in sharing the gospel and loving people, comes because we know that God is present in us. But this presence is different now than it was in the Old Testament. Before, God simply dwelled in heaven. And then God would appear in what we call theophanies, appearance of God, theophanies, to the people of Israel. But not to everyone. He would sort of come here and there as the angel of the Lord, to people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he would appear when, when, the, when the Israelites were freed from Egypt and as they roamed um, in, in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, the little, the little house that they built for God. And Moses would go in and enter and you would see the heavens open up and the Lord descend in a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. And God would appear. And when Moses would see him face to face and hear the very words of God, you could see, the, the people of God could see, the Israelites could see that Moses had met God and was changed by God. And that Moses had a word from God to share with those who were encamping around that temple. And everyone enjoyed the presence of God through Moses and the intimacy of God through Moses. And they depended upon Moses as well to hear God's voice. This is the way God worked in, in those days. 
If you were a Gentile, if you were someone not of the Jewish nation, born into the Jewish nation, and you, you wanted to, to worship Yahweh God himself, you had to go through sort of a, a, a course. You, you actually had to become Jewish in order to worship God. You had to learn the culture. You had to learn the language. You had to go through all the rituals. And after you went through all the rituals, you, were, you became part of the, of the body, but you were known not fully Jewish, but simply, well, a Jewish convert. But still, that was enough for them to be simply at the edges and to see the holy God was more than they needed. They didn't need to be in the inner sanctum like the priest. They didn't need to be born into the covenants. Just the fact that they knew that this God was the God of the universe, the God of salvation, just that they can sit on the edges, the nosebleed section, and know that they could commune with God was all they wanted and all they needed. to fill their hearts. And during this time, people thought that this is how the nation of Israel, this is how salvation is going to become known to the peoples, is that Israel will go out amongst the nations, proclaiming about who Jesus was, or who, who Yahweh God was. And then in so doing, these people would convert into Judaism, becoming like them, learning their language, learning their culture. And in that way, Yahweh's name would be known to all the nations. But God had a different plan. And this different plan that he executed, well, all of us here are, are beneficiaries of that. And we need not to take these benefits, these blessings for granted but to understand how much the Lord has poured out upon us in our weaknesses, and yet His love overcomes all things. You see, they waited, and on that 50th day from Easter, Pentecost, God sent down His Holy Spirit in his full form. And the Spirit rested upon each of these apostles. And being filled with the Spirit, they were able to speak in tongues. And these tongues of fire that was spoken were the words of the gospel itself. But the beauty here is this, is no longer do the Gentiles or even the Jewish people have to go to God. God came to them. No longer did you have to make a pilgrimage to somewhere. God has come to you. And because God has come to us, God dwells in us by His Spirit. And God speaks to us with whatever language that you might speak, any culture that you come from, 
any individual baggage that we might carry. God speaks and we hear. I can only imagine if I was one of these people from a diaspora, a Jewish person who did not speak Hebrew anymore, who spoke Greek or whatever language they, they spoke at that time. And for the first time hearing someone speak about God, speak about salvation in my very own language. And hearing that gospel in my very native tongue. And to hear it explained in such a way that I knew that God had come to me. What joy must have filled the hearts of all of these people who heard the gospel. You yourselves are blessed. We are blessed beyond our own imagination. Most other religions or all other religions are about you trying to go find God. You trying to fulfill the demands of God and finding him. And even in some Christian circles, we, we've, we've perverted the gospel into thinking that in order for us to be a Christian or a believer, we need to pursue God and have these seven steps to go, go toward him and find him. That's not what the gospel teaches. That's not what we see here in Pentecost as well. God has come to you. And you may hear the gospel in any language that you choose. You know, in, in my training, um, we are taught to learn the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. And for those of you who are pursuing ministry, Joseph, um, you need to learn Greek and Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic. You need to learn the Bible in its original languages. You need to know that the Bible is infallible, but it's infallible in its original language, the Greek and the Hebrew. And you need to study it hard and read it well and understand its cultural context and understand its literary context and understand the theology that is born out of that. But God does not save alone through the Hebrew and the Greek. God does not, like in the Middle Age, Middle Ages, save only through the language of Latin. But what's beautiful about the gospel is that the Bible can be translated to any, any language that we choose. And when we hear the language or read the Bible in, it's our own language, the gospel still penetrates to our hearts. And we hear and we understand and we are blessed. English, Korean, Chinese, French, Spanish, Swahili, whatever it may be, you are blessed. You do not need to learn Hebrew or Greek. Or you're from another religion, you don't need to learn Arabic. You don't need to learn Sanskrit. 
You just need to listen to God who has come into your life. What a blessing it is for us to be able to read the Bible in our own language and know that God is speaking to us. You know, one of the reasons up here, you will never, this is a personal choice, but you'll never hear me quote Greek or Hebrew is because I never want you to think that Greek or Hebrew is some kind of magic language to the gospel. I mean, when we do a Bible study, that's a little different. But you can open up your Bible and you can hear God's word. And God's word will cut to your heart. And God's word will speak to you plainly and simply. Praise be to our Lord. Now the second thing here that's important is that the, the learning, the, the, the languages that these apostles were able to speak, the purpose of, lear- of, of, of these languages was not so that it can show off and say, hey, I can speak a different language. They weren't sort of bilingual, or trilingual, or polyglots just to say that they were polyglots. You see, this vehicle of language came with a content. This gift of the Spirit is not simply the ability to learn no languages themselves. But the gift of the Spirit came with the content of the gospel. And it's the gospel itself that is the most important thing about Pentecost. It's not the fact that we can... We can that they could speak different languages. It's not the fact that we can actually hear the different languages. It's the fact that the content behind it was about God and about Christ and his death and his resurrection. And that news about Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, that he came to save sinners, that he came to save you, that he came to give you life and life everlasting, is what makes Pentecost such a great day. Brothers and sisters, you are living in the most spectacular time of all of redemptive history. You are not living the time before Christ. You're not even living the time when Christ lived amongst us, although... Many of us that think that's the best time. No, you are living the time of the Spirit where Jesus is close to you because of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Lastly, Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us that we are seated with God in the heavenly realms with Christ at his right hand. This is one of those those mysterious passages in Paul's letters, and it's the only place that we find it. Uh, The fact that you as Christians, you who know Jesus, you who Jesus has come come to, to meet, that in knowing Jesus, you are actually in two places at once. It's like, no, no, that, that, that only works in in quantum mechanics, Pastor, yeah, it doesn't work anywhere else. No, it, it works here in our spiritual lives as well. That you are seated with Jesus at the right hand of God. 
How is that possible? This is the, the, the blessings that we have. You see, when Jesus ascended to heaven, when Pentecost came, and ensuing days and ensuing years and, and, and ages after that, those who come to know Jesus is because the Holy Spirit has come into you. And this Holy Spirit does something miraculous. It unites us to Jesus. That Spirit somehow, mysteriously, links us to Jesus. And wherever Jesus is, we are there. So Jesus is at the right hand of God, and because we are, we are united with him, we're at the right hand of God. But it works the other way too. Because the Spirit lives in you. Jesus lives in you as well. And this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit is what gives us the power and the strength to live a life of joy, to live courageously before the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you don't need a bodyguard like I did. Jesus is with you. Nothing can separate you from him. There's nothing in this life that can overpower the truth of the gospel. Rejoice. Rejoice. Christ is in you. Rejoice. Rejoice. The power of God lives amongst you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that came on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came on that day in fullness of power. For Christ, you achieved what you were set up, what you came to, to achieve, the salvation of many. And we thank you that all of us here today we know, Lord God, that for our salvation, we do not have to come to you first. In fact, we can't. But we know that you've come to us. In our brokenness, in our weakness, in our stubbornness. And that you've changed our hearts. We ask of you, Lord Jesus, to let this truth, and more importantly, to allow this relationship to grow deep inside of us, Lord God. That we may unabashedly say to ourselves and to others, you know what? Yeah, I'm still a sinner, but Jesus loves me. And I love Jesus for loving me as well. Give us all courage, Lord God, that comes from you. We thank you that you would do this, that you will do this 
for that is the power that you have and the love that you have for your people as well. In Christ's name we pray.